Let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to Acts chapter number 20, if you would please. Acts chapter number 20. We'll continue in our series here this evening in the book of Acts, a church for his name. And so tonight we come to Sermon 43. It's hard to believe we've uh, journeyed that far already in the book of Acts. Seems like we just started. But we are now in Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 17. And so tonight I'd like for us to consider a life that points others to Christ. A life that points others to Christ. So Acts chapter number 17. I'm sorry, Acts 20 and verse number 17. It says, And from Miletus he, referring to Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know that you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We're going to stop our reading there. Now, the speech that Paul gives to these pastors from Ephesus continues to the end of chapter number 20. We're going to stop there and consider what Paul has said thus far. And I believe we'll find enough to consider here tonight, just from this portion of it. So let's consider a life that points others to Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. As you're seated, we'll get into the message here this evening. Every person needs someone who will point them to Christ. Every person needs someone who will point them to Christ. I want to thank God for a, a mom who pointed me to Christ. Thank God for a pastor and a, a youth pastor who pointed me to Christ and friends who pointed me to Christ. And I'm sure you could say the same exact thing. And, and uh, now your desire should be and our desire should be that our lives would be used by God to point others to Christ. I appreciate what uh, Miss Maricela had to say about Miss Anna Marie West, that she's a good example. You heard her say that. She's a good example for me. What she's saying is, is that here's a lady who points me to Christ. And that's what Paul has been doing. We come now to Acts chapter number 20. And this is uh, really Paul's, the last part of his journey as far as official missionary journey, from here on out, it's going to be his journey to Rome, which God certainly is not done with Paul. He's going to use him in that journey. But Paul has a burden for the future of the ministry. He has a burden for the future of churches that he's planted, that God has allowed him to be used to plant. And we saw in our last time that we were in the book of Acts in the first 16 verses that he traveled up north from Ephesus to Macedonia. 
and then uh, to the south and the west to Achaia to be able to say some things, final, uh, final words to the churches and to believers there. And then he made his journey back that same direction, back through uh, Macedonia after he learned of a plot by the Jews who, was, who were going to take his life while at sea. And so he took uh, the route back by land. And then he came to a place called Troas. And if you remember uh, there in Troas, he preached until midnight, not trying to break records in preaching as far as how long that he would preach, but he had many things on his heart to try to pass on to these believers because he cared so much about them. And what he had on his heart just simply took some time to try to convey. And thus he was trying to preserve what they had in Christ. He knew that after he left that there would be challenges that would come from others and uh, that the ministry would be jeopardized and he wanted to see that ministry continue and, and encourage progress there just as we ought to have a heart for this church and the ministries of the church that we should preserve that which we have in Christ but not grow stagnant in it but see God continue to give progress and growth and strength to this his church at Southwest Baptist Church. And so what we have in, this, in these verses as he's in a place called Miletus, just about 30 miles uh, away from Ephesus, he calls for the pastors, the elders, the bishops. You'll see that all, that, all those terms used are used in reference to the same people. Elders would speak of their maturity. Bishops would speak of their overseeing of the ministry that is there. Pastors, of course, would, would speak of their uh, shepherding of the people and development of their lives. And so he calls for these individuals and he's reflecting back and he's asking them to reflect with him about the nature of his journey up to this point and how that the very, from the very day that he set foot in Ephesus, he gave them an example to follow. Now we don't have here Paul tooting his own horn, but we have here Paul saying, I've tried to live my life in such a way that it's an example to you to follow, which by the way, ought to be the way that all of us ought to live our lives. And Paul is uh, reviewing some of these characteristics in his life. Again, not, uh, not to, uh, to say anything about himself, but simply to say this. I'm concerned about your future, and you've known the type of life that I have lived before you. Now, I want to challenge you as the leaders of the church in, in Ephesus to continue following this example so that your life might be used to impact other lives so that you could point people to Christ. And so what we're going to do is very simple here tonight. We're going to look at the characteristics that Paul mentioned about his own life and how that he was used of God to point others to Christ. So number one, I want you to see this. A life that points others to Christ is a life that is spent serving Christ. A life spent serving the Lord. Okay, let's look at the verses here again in verse number 18. It says here, And when they were come to... Um, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, what, after what manner, speaking of his lifestyle, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord. Do you see that? Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. That Paul viewed himself as a servant. And so if we're going to point others to Christ tonight, church, we need to view ourselves as servants servants. He did not view himself as a celebrity. He did not. He viewed himself as a servant. He was there simply to serve. Really, the word that he uses here is that I've, I've served as a slave. 
joyfully though, not, not as though it were a drudgery, but he has served joyfully as a slave. I've been a slave serving the Lord, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how he qualifies that. He says this, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with all humility of mind, a humble attitude. I've, I've tried to go about serving the Lord, just doing what he wants me to do. You know who points other people to Christ? Somebody like that. Some of that's not in it for themselves. It's not trying to gain recognition. He's not, he's not uh, being proud about his humility. You understand what I'm saying? He's not bragging about his humility. That would be counterproductive, wouldn't it? Uh, but he's saying, I've tried to serve the Lord with a, hu- with a humble mind, humility of mind. Serving the Lord with humility of mind. And then he says this, with many tears, with many tears. You know, we could, uh, we could read in Romans chapter 9. How that Paul wept over lost souls. And how that Paul also wept over wayward believers in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 2 and other passages. He was a man who had a heart for people. Listen, if you're going to point somebody to Christ, if we're going to point others to Christ, I believe our hearts need to be broken over the lost and over the wayward. That we need to have a heart of compassion that that uh, cries for people. Paul says, I've served the Lord and I've shed tears. I've, I've prayed for people. I've shed tears for the lost. I, I've shed tears for the wayward. And then he says this, I've served the Lord through temptations, times of trials. That's what the word temptation there means in verse number 19, which befell me by the lying weight of the Jews. And so he's speaking there about of recent events. And then also, I mean, we could really just open up the Bible and the book of Acts anywhere in Paul's life and we're going to see him persecuted or, or, or facing various trials. But he served God through all those trials. And Paul is saying to them, just as I have served Christ, you serve Christ. And serving the Lord points others to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank God for the servants that are here in this auditorium. Uh, just yesterday we had our... Um, our uh, biannual, we, I'm sorry, we do it every other year as far as a widow, widower luncheon. And I appreciate the way that uh, many serve to try to serve them. And many of those that are widows and widowers have a very important role of serving the Lord Jesus Christ and pointing others to him. And so we are blessed to have many servants. But I want to ask you tonight, are you a servant? Are you a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to make personal application as we go through here the life of Paul because he's saying, I've tried to serve, and I want you to serve. And that's not just for pastoral staff, that's for every Christian to serve, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with humility, with tears, and even through times of temptation. Secondly, I see this, a life that points others to Christ is a life that is spent sharing the gospel, a life that is spent sharing the gospel. Look at verse number 20. He says, and I kept back nothing. And the word kept back means this. I, I didn't shrink away from the responsibility. I was not silent. I kept back nothing that was profitable, that which would be advantageous for you, that which would be good for you. Paul said, I've tried to share with you that which would help you. Uh, as he has had occasion to be with them. I kept back nothing that was uh, profitable unto you, but have showed you, have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. 
He's had occasion in the marketplaces. He's had occasion in the synagogues. He's had occasion in uh, public settings as the school of Tyrannus and other places where he was able to share the gospel and to teach them. And he says, I didn't keep back anything from you that I I knew that would be a help to you. And I went house to house. Hey, listen, if we're going to help people and point them to Christ, then we've got to have a lifestyle of sharing the gospel everywhere we go. Not just on Tuesday nights, not just on Saturday, but when you go to uh, work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, to view that as your opportunity to try to share Christ with others. Paul did that. Paul did that. He shared it with all people. I love this next verse that we're going to look at here in verse number 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in this modern day and age, it's important that we continue emphasizing the need for repentance. Many are downplaying it and watering down the gospel by downplaying it, but there's still a need for a person to repent. What what does it mean to repent? Repent means this. You, You have a change of mind. You turn away from something to turn to someone. So he says, I preached among the Jews, I preached among the Gentiles, the same message. The same message is needed among both people. It wasn't like he had one message for the Jews and one message for the Gentiles. Ultimately, it was the same message that they needed to repent, they needed to turn away from whatever it was they were trusting in order to turn to Christ. It was, the, it was basically the two sides of the same coin, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Everybody that's going to heaven today has repented and believed. And and that's what we must continue. If we're going to point people to Christ, we must share with them that there's a need for you to repent of your sin. That means they have to be confronted with their sin. You know, sometimes people don't want to be confronted with their sin. People come and they want to feel better about themselves. And there's a culture of Christianity that's even cultivating that and trying to help people to feel better about themselves. Well, As people come here to Southwest Baptist Church and as we go and knock on their door, that is not our mission. That is not our test to help them feel better about themselves. In fact, we're there at their, at their, uh, at that juncture in their life to help them to see that, that you are a lost sinner that has broken God's commandments and that you're in danger of going to hell and spending all of eternity apart from Christ unless you repent and believe. That was Paul's message. That was Paul's message then. That ought to be our message now And so Paul was a life that pointed others to Christ, number one, because he was a servant of Christ. And then also this, he shared the gospel everywhere he went and with everyone to whom he had the opportunity. Paul just had that heart. Now listen, we've got to have that same mentality. God did not call us, of course, to try to get everybody to come in here. He's assembled us together here so that we could go out there and speak to them there. It's totally different. Now, I'm thankful. We've been having a good number coming as far as guests and people uh, that have been here and have said this is a friendly church, and I'm so thankful for that. May God help us to continue doing that, but may God also help us to go out from here and to go everywhere with the gospel, pointing others to Christ. Number three, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time here tonight. A life that points others to Christ is a servant of Christ, yes, and shares the gospel, but also is a life that follows the Spirit's leadership even to the point of suffering. A life that follows the Spirit's leadership 
even to the point of suffering. Look at verse number 22. He says, and now, okay, so he's, he had looked back and said, I've been a servant. I've tried to be a help to you while I was there in your midst. And so now he's, he's not looking at the past, but he's looking at his present situation into the future. And he says in verse number 22, and now, behold, I go bound in the spirit. Okay, let's stop right there. I go as the spirit's captive. I go bound. He's saying the spirit is compelling me to go. I am under divine, we might say it this way, I am under divine constraint. I'm under divine constraint. I've been arrested by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now that conjures up maybe a weird, weird idea or a weird picture in our minds. But basically that's what Paul is saying. He's saying I'm bound in the Spirit. The Spirit of God is driving me. The Spirit of God is leading me. Now why is that important? Well, obviously we need to know the Spirit's leading why would Paul need to know the Spirit's leading? Well, because he's going to be led right into the midst of trouble. You say, well, I thought the Spirit of God would lead us around trouble. No, sometimes the Spirit of God leads you right into it. Amen. Notice what he says here. Behold, now I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Was he supposed to go unto Jerusalem? Some question whether Paul was supposed to go or not. Well, right here Paul's saying the Spirit of God was driving me there. He was compelling me to go. I was under divine constraint to go. Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem... And then he says this, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. You know, the Spirit of God doesn't have to tell us everything. The Spirit of God will call and will call you and, and call individuals into serving him. And he doesn't give a delineation of everything that you're going to face. When Miss Anna Marie West, who's here tonight after many years of serving the Lord, she had no idea what all God was going to lead her to do. And God was not under obligation to, to, to tell us everything. He's not under obligation to tell us everything. And Paul says, I don't know exactly all that I'm going to face that I'm there. Although I do know this. Look at the next verse. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesses, that he declares, he explains, the Holy Ghost says, in every city, in city after city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. You know what he says? He says, I don't know exactly all that's going to happen to me there. And I know that the Spirit of God is leading me there. And although I don't know exactly what's going to happen, here's what the Spirit of God has told me. I'm going to be in prison and I'm going to be under affliction. Well, that's motivating, right? That's motivating for service. But that's exactly what Paul is saying. The Spirit of God is letting me know ahead of time that bonds and affliction await me there. Their persecution and imprisonment are waiting. And so Paul says here, Following the Spirit of God, now remember who he's speaking to, to whom he's speaking. He's speaking to pastors who themselves eventually will know persecution in their realms. And he's saying to them, I've tried to point you to Christ. I've tried to be an example. And the Spirit of God has led me in this direction. And the Spirit of God has led me right into the point of persecution and troubles and, and these difficulties that have come my way. And I know that it's God's will that I do that. Now, the reason I'm going to park here for just a moment is because of this. Many times in America, we can grow up with the mentality that following Christ means that I ought to be just enjoying a good life. And this whole idea of suffering is so foreign to our thinking. I, was, I had a little bit of time uh, with Brother Lemuel Frank's dad a couple weeks back. You remember he is a church planning 
missionary there in the hill country of Tamil Nadu, India. And he said this to me, and, and uh, it really registered with me. We're just talking about the ministry. And he said this. He said that our ministries, just in a broad way he's speaking, our ministries are not suffering because of money, but because of men. Our ministries are not suffering because of money, but because of men. And, and the context of that was this. Of course, money is needed for the ministry. But he was saying, really, ministries have been um, suffering there from time to time because a man maybe gets into the ministry and he begins to realize just how difficult it is and then he may leave. Or he takes advantage of the ministry in a wrong way. And so that's the reason he's saying our ministries are not in trouble because of money but because of men. You know, I believe what he said is true there in India is also true here in America. That it's not a money problem, it's a man problem. It's people wanting sometimes to do their own things. I've um, been uh, reading after a little bit as far as uh, by way of commentary work in Acts. After a man named Ajith Fernando. And he is um, a native and, and from uh, Sri Lanka. So that sparked my interest just because of our uh, status in serving as a sending church for missionaries in Sri Lanka. And so I was reading along uh, his commentary and he made these comments about this passage. He says there's a need to bring back the theology of suffering to the church. I want to read this a little bit to you here tonight. Bringing back the theology of suffering to the church. He says this, It is well known that church leaders today find it difficult to motivate others to suffer for the cause of Christ. In fact, they too often find it difficult to motivate Christians even to take on inconvenience for the sake of Christ. He says, realizing the greatness of the cause of Christ should fire us with an ambition to take on suffering as a natural response. Have we presented the glory of this cause in our proclamation? Or has our proclamation been so this-worldly, so related to our little human desires that people have lost sight of the glory of the gospel cause. Then he says this, In focusing so much on felt needs, have we neglected the grand theme of the kingdom of God? He says this, This is particularly a problem in richer countries where economic and technological advancement have made it possible for people to have many conveniences. Would you agree this evening? That in America we have many conveniences. We have many conveniences. And I'm not against conveniences. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for lights and air conditioning and indoor plumbing. It's not a problem. I'm all glad for that. But let's, let's hear him out here. I think this, he makes a very good point. He says this. Convenience itself has become a major goal in life. Convenience itself has become a major goal in life. Even Christians today 
avoid inconvenience for the gospel and resent it when they are inconvenienced. This pattern has posed a major problem to churches in poor countries. They send some of their most capable people to richer countries for education. And these people return to their original countries expecting convenience. They have become soft and do not want to suffer. When they do, they resent it. Not only do they end up having ineffective ministries, they also drag the church down to their low level of commitment. We should work hard at trying to restore the glory of suffering in the church. Let me give a few comments here on this. As I mean, here we are, we're considering the words of Paul. And he says this, I'm serving Christ, I'm sharing the gospel, and I know that this is going to cost me something. I know it's going to cost me dearly. I know that it's going to be a time of suffering. And in by, by no means is Paul a troublemaker, although he was accused of being that. He was not out looking for trouble to come. But he was saying this, I count Christ to be more important than even my own life so that I might make him known. These things may very well come to me. A life that points others to Christ is a life that's willing to share the gospel even to the point of, in which that that life might bring and, ex, and, and experience suffering. Look at verse number 24. He says this about what the Holy Ghost says about bonds and afflictions and how they abide in me. He says this, but none of these things move me. I believe we need a little bit more of the spirit of Paul, don't you? None of these things move me. Neither, watch this now, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the good news. What good news? The good news of the grace of God. Paul says, I don't count my life as valuable. I, I, don't, I don't hold my life more dear than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, listen, Paul was not in a mode of self-preservation. Too many times we can get into a mode of self-preservation and convenience and, a, and an, an effort to try to avoid inconvenience. Paul said, I don't count my life dear unto myself, but I count Christ and his message to be of greater importance. Look again at verse number 24. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might what? Finish. So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, the service, the ministry, which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I'm glad to serve. He says, I'm glad to share the gospel. He says, I'm glad even if that brings me suffering. Here's why. Paul pointed others to Christ because he placed greater value on Christ than he did on his own life. Listen to these words, Nate Saint. People, Nate Saint, who died there in uh, Ecuador at the uh, hands of the Aka Indians, he said this, And people who do not know the Lord ask why. Why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries? 
they forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. You know what Paul's saying and what Nate's saying is saying? He's saying, listen, I haven't wasted my life. Even though it's brought suffering, even though it may bring suffering, it's not a waste because Christ is of more value than my life. Listen to the words of of Jim Elliott, one of the other five who died there in Ecuador. He said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. And then he's most known for saying this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott. David Platt said this, Somewhere along the way we have subtly and tragically taken the costly command of Christ to go, baptize and teach all nations, and mutilate and, and uh, changed it rather into a comfortable call for Christians to come and be baptized and listen in one location. Oswald J. Smith said this, The Lord did not tell us to build beautiful churches, but to evangelize the world. Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, who also uh, served in India, said this, Does it not stir our hearts to go forth and help them? Does it not make us long to leave our luxury, our exceeding abundant light, and go to them who sit in darkness? David Livingston, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? And then listen to these words by John Stott who said this, Every Christian should be both conservative and radical. Every Christian should be both conservative and radical. Conservative in preserving the faith and radical in applying it. Conservative in preserving the faith and radical in applying it. Here's what I see in the life of Paul. Here's a man who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, who was glad to serve him, who defended the faith, was not about to back down. But I'm telling you, my friend, he was radical in the way that he applied it. But really, we we really shouldn't say that he's radical. We ought to be able to say this. He was normal. That this is not radical Christianity, but that this way of life, of counting Christ of greater importance than your life, shouldn't be radical, but it ought to rather be normal. Normal. Now, where do we live? Where, where are our lives found? Oftentimes, our lives are found in trying to pursue comfort and things and position and houses and lands and cars and jobs and all these things. And all these things have a place. But let us not forget what is of the ultimate importance. And rather, I could say it this way, who is of the ultimate importance? And thus, if we could adopt the mind of Christ that says, you know, it doesn't matter what comes my way, I am going to live for Christ all out. All out. The world might look at that and say, you're wasting your life. No, my friend, you're not wasting your life. Rather, by living completely for Christ, you are investing your life 
Invest in your life in that which is eternal for the one who is eternal. Listen, eventually all the things that we have here are going to waste away. Everything you have eventually is going to be outdated including clothes and phones. I'm telling you, eventually, just with time passing, you, the latest and the best is, is a worthless cause to live for, but to live for Christ who does not change, who does not become outdated. I'm telling you, that is the cause for which we ought to live, to say uh, my utmost for his highest, to say everything I am for who he is because he's so wonderful. Paul said, none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself. I'm afraid here's the problem in modern day Christianity. We count our lives to be of too great of importance. We count our comfort to be of too great of importance. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be rejected. Even in witnessing opportunities, sometimes we're hesitant. But Paul said, I didn't keep anything back. I wasn't hesitant because I knew that what I had to say, although at first you may not have received it, I knew this, that it would be good for you. So you go out and you witness. You knock doors. And sometimes people will reject you. And they have all kinds of people coming by. They have all kinds of people calling them, all these things. But listen, let us not forget tonight, church, that although they have all these individuals calling them, offering this and that, we have in Christ the most important thing they need. Let us not hold back what they, what they need, but rather let us give them that which would be advantageous to their lives. But you might have everything in you saying, I don't want to do that. Because when I do that, that gets me totally out of my comfort zone. Friday night, we had occasion as a family, just wanted to go down uh, downtown with the students that go down every Friday night. I appreciate their faithfulness to go. Uh, this past uh, Friday night, I guess there was about maybe 45 or 50, somewhere right there, that loaded up on a bus and went downtown to Oklahoma City, down in Bricktown, and took their station and began passing out tracks. Listen, that'll put you out of your comfort zone. You know why? Because people don't go downtown to Bricktown to hear the gospel. That's not why they're down there. But while they're down there, what they need to hear is the gospel. And I stand, you know, here week by week and stand to, to be bold and try to preach and all those things. But I'm telling you, getting out there on the street corner and you're talking to somebody that you don't know, that's a little bit different. And I don't mind to tell you everything in me was saying, I don't want to go. Hey, listen, this is where we are, isn't it? But what we need to come to is saying like Paul did, I don't count my life to be dear unto myself. You know, if, if we could just do this, if we could just get past ourselves and get past what we think, how important we are, how important, you know, my life is and, and uh, what all I'm living for. If we could just, if we could just get past ourselves and, and really, truly as a church and as individuals in this church, understand how important Christ is and live all out for him. I'm telling you. That would begin to point some people to Christ. But to do that, you've got to get past who you are. Say, well, but I get so nervous talking to people. Right. It's going to be inconvenient. It's not going to be comfortable. 
There's nothing in the Bible that says it's going to be easy. This afternoon, my son was working on his peewee verses. But peewee verses have a way of speaking to adult-sized people too. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness. Not softness, right? You don't have to endure softness. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth entangleth himself with what? The affairs of this life. So that what? That he might please him who chose him, good, to be a soldier. What is Paul saying there? He's saying, Timothy, it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy as you stand for Christ there in Ephesus. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to endure hardness. You know what endure means? That means you're going to have to keep going even when you don't want to keep going. You're to to be as a soldier. A soldier soldier doesn't get wrapped up in civilian things. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, listen, you can't afford to have a peacetime mentality on the battlefield. You're a soldier. You've got to have a wartime mentality. What do we need here as Southwest Baptist Church? What do you need in your life? It's not a peacetime mentality. Listen, we're in a battle, my friend, a spiritual battle. Therefore, you must endure hardness. And listen, the hardness is not coming to church. Listen, that's the easy part. Being here in services, this is the easy part. And I realize sometimes it's hard just to get to church. But listen, this is the easy part. I believe God wants us to grow up in our, in our Christianity. And get back to the way that Paul lived when he said, listen, Christ is more important than my life. You know why we have a hard time or you might have a hard time coming to church? Because your life is too dear to you. Your programs are too dear to you. or Your sports are too dear to you. Or rest and sleep is too dear for you. Whoa, whoa wait a minute. Hang on. Isn't this right? But if we saw that Christ and his value and how great and wonderful that he is, then we say, really, nothing. There's nothing that he could ask me that would be too much. Spirit of God speaks to you. Maybe the Spirit of God speaking to you. I want you to leave your comfort. I I I I want you to leave your country and go and serve me in a foreign field. You can look at that and think, oh, but I won't have time with my parents and my grandkids and my kids. Then we'll get to be around grandparents. Hey, listen, that's a real deal. But think how valuable Christ is. And how inconvenient it can be. Sure, it's inconvenient. But we serve the Lord Christ to point others to him. Is there anything that he could could ask of us tonight that we'd have to say, "Uh, you know, that's too much in comparison to what he did for us? Nothing's too much that he would ask of us. In fact, he's not asking of us to go. Rather, he's this, commanding us to go. There's a difference. So I want to ask you tonight, are you going? Are you individually going? No, no, wait. Because you, know you know how you can hear a message like this? Because it just sounds good. It, I mean, it almost sounds preachy. Like something a preacher would say. Point others to Christ. Isn't that right? 
I mean, that just sounds like something a preacher ought to say. Point others to Christ, right? And you should. You know what can happen? It can come in this ear and out the other. Because you can think, yep, in my ear and out my other, because this guy down here, he's got potential to do that. Now, wait a minute. Are you saved? This is, this is towards you. Yeah, but my life is, wait a minute, how much, how you value in your life here? Which is of greater importance? Genemele said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. What, what can't you keep? What's he talking about there? You're saying, I, I'm not sure if I caught that quote. What can't you keep? Now listen, you can't keep your life. In a moment of time, you can lose everything tonight. You can't keep it. So he says, people may look at me and think, this is foolish for you to go there and try to reach these Indian people and may potentially lose your life. They think it's absolutely a waste. I can't even keep my life here in the United States of America. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What, what can he cannot lose? What is that talking about? To this day, there are souls that are on their way to heaven among the Aka Indians and generations that are now on their way to heaven because five men said, even if it costs us our very lives, we'll be willing to go and share Christ with them. That's of eternal value. How can you count the worth of that? I'm so thankful that many have served as missionaries for many years. While they, listen, they could have been having a very comfortable living right here in the United States of America, but they left all that behind to go there. Now there's something of eternal value. And I'm not saying that God calls everybody into missions that way, but God calls everybody to be involved in missions. It's not that God has given a mission to this church. To his mission, he has given this church. He has a mission. His mission is to seek and to save that which was lost. And for that mission, he has a church. Is this making any sense? I think sometimes we get it backwards because we think, okay, what's the mission of this church? Like this church existed first and then he gave us a mission for it. No. God is a missionary God. In fact, if you do good theology, you'll be a missionary. And you'll see that his mission all along has always been to redeem people for his namesake. And so now for his mission, he has churches. And it's our privilege to join in with him. But joining in with him calls on you for reckless abandonment. But sometimes we're so self-centered that we won't even give up entertainment and, and preferences and things that you have or what you like and what you want to hold on to. He, he deals with you about that to, to leave worldliness behind and you won't hold, let, even let go of that. Because your value in your life. What he's calling you to, what he calls me to and us as believers to, he calls us tonight to be recklessly abandoned for his mission. What does that mean? What does that look like in your life? I'm not saying you go in tomorrow morning and you come into the boss and say, hey, you know, I'm going to have to give my two weeks because I've got to go to the mission field. Look at your work tomorrow morning as your mission field. Go in with that mindset. And people there, as you begin to share Christ, you begin to pass out tracts, you begin to talk to others about the Lord, they're going to think that maybe something's a little bit weird with you today. That's all right. Because Christ is of greater value than your life. 
We just received an email, shared it with the men yesterday from an individual that lives down in Moore about some ladies that came by the house and knocked on their door and, and said, and basically it said this, we've had a lot of people come by and invite us to church, but these ladies took the time to ask us if we were saved, if we'd been born again. He said this, he said in the number of years, and I don't know, I don't remember if he even mentioned but he said, in, in the time that we've lived here and more, I think this is the very first time we've had somebody come by and not just invite us to church, but ask if, if we were saved. We have the opportunity. But to capitalize and make the most of the opportunity, we've got to have this mentality that Paul had who said, I don't count my life to be worth something, but I count him worth everything. And the reason I'm doing that is so that I might finish this race. He said, I'm in a race. You know, when you run a race, you run it with some intensity and some tenacity. And he's saying, I'm not going to stop running. I've got to I've cross the line. Keep running. And I've been given a task that is not finished. And I'm going to keep serving it right until it's finished. And Paul is saying, I'm going to finish the course with joy. And the mission, the, the ministry that he's given me to testify, here's what we have, the privilege, the honor to testify, the good news about God's grace. That coworker, you know what they need tomorrow? They need some good news. What kind of good news? God's sufficient grace. See, this, Paul was motivated not by greed, what he could get out of it, he was motivated not by guilt because he had to do this. It was like an obligation and he had to check in and do it. No, not at all. He was motivated by this. I know the grace of God. I've experienced the grace of God. And I want to devote my whole life. And boy, didn't he do that. I want to devote my whole life to testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ and calling on Jews and Gentiles alike to repent and to place faith in Jesus Christ and to experience the good grace of God that can save them from their sin. That's the motivation. Have you experienced the grace of God? Then let that motivate you to get that grace to somebody else. Father, we pray that you'd help us tonight. Confess that oftentimes we live for creature comforts. And Lord, we uh, need this, this theology of suffering. And this way of thinking that Paul had and others like him who said that to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, who had the mentality to say that whether by life or by death, the purpose of his life was that he might magnify Christ. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, dear Lord, to view this life in the right way, that we would be recklessly abandoned to your will to do that which you have called us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.